If you have your Bibles, I do invite you. We are returning to Exodus, and uh, we are now on the third word. We're working through this series of the law of perfect liberty, the law of God that, that leads to um, a clear direction for how we are to walk with God and how we bless our communities, how we learn to love our neighbors and contribute to the flourishing um, of those around us. This morning, we are working through the third commandment, um, which in some respects is not uh, well understood. And so I invite you to stand uh, for the hearing and the reading of the Word of God. This is Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. In vain. Would you pray with me? O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And may your great name be hallowed now as your word is proclaimed. Spirit of the living God, come now and increase within us an awe and a reverence of your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So now, as we come to the third commandment, we are told uh, not to misuse the name of God. But before, you know, even talking directly about the third commandment, it is worth stepping back and appreciating that this almighty, transcendent God has chosen to reveal himself to us in the form of telling us his name in the first place. So he's given us his name, and and we just take this for granted. In Exodus 3, Moses is at the burning bush, and there God is directing Moses uh, to go back to Pharaoh, to go back to the Israelites in Egypt as the Lord's spokesman. And Moses says, they're not going to care about me. (laughs) What they're going to care about is who it is that's sending me. And so, in response, we pick up the story in Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, which is translating the name Yahweh, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. At the burning bush, the God who made the universe condescends, and he reveals himself in this very personal way to Moses and to the Israelites for the first time, uh, revealing directly his name as Yahweh. And a lot of ink has been spilled on the meaning of this passage where God tells Moses something cryptic, but it's also something descriptive. And this becomes the foundation of a personal name for God. 
When asked about his name, God doesn't, he doesn't rebuke Moses. He doesn't say, just call me, you know, Lord, it's just as a title. Just, just call me God. That's good enough. You don't need to know my name. But God go, doesn't do this. He says, I am who I am. I am. And so this is a descriptive. I am who I am. This is both heavily theological, heavily philosophical. As a child reading this, you're just like, what? <laughs> Maybe as an adult, too. You're like, what in the world does that mean? It's, it's, um, it's mysterious. It's strange. This is the God who defies easy categories and descriptions. This is the God who, from eternity past and into eternity future, just is. He is the uncreated one. That's what God is saying. He stands outside of time. He is the only existence that has life within himself. He is. I am, he says. And he is perpetually present with his people. So this mysterious declaration of God serves as the foundation for the name of God, which in Hebrew is just four Hebrew consonants, and thus it is, some, it is sometimes referred to as the tetragrammaton. You know, this is so important was this to the uh, people of God that they gave these four consonants, they gave it a name, the tetragrammaton, Yahweh, is how this gets um, uh, in Hebrew translated. And into English, it's Lord. In our English Bibles, it's Lord capitalized, okay, Lord capitalized. In modern times, we pronounce it Yahweh. In some places, and more commonly decades ago, people used the term Jehovah, built on the Latinized uh, version of the Hebrew. But both Jehovah or Yahweh, it's pointing to the same thing. Um, It means, um, it's pointing to this four consonants, this, this ancient revelation of God to Moses, the Tetragrammaton. So these four Hebrew consonants become a proper name. They become the personal name for God that God invites his people to use, especially in worship. But not only is the content of the name itself full of profound meaning, the revelation of a personal name means that the transcendent God has condescended, in a sense, humbled himself to share his name, to invite his people to address him not just as by a title, the Great One, the Almighty, the Incomprehensible, the All-Knowing, the All-Present. You can refer to me as... Yahweh. This is an amazing revelation, an amazing gift. It is more than a sign that this God wants us to know him. He wants us to walk with him, to feel comforted by his presence. And then I'm reminded of what Jesus says to his own disciples. He says, I I do not call you servants. I call you friends. And and what he goes on to say is about this friendship is, I reveal everything the Father shows me I have revealed to you. You see, that's what friends do. There is an intimate relationship. And so all of this leads back to the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Well, what does this mean? Well, there are three key terms in this commandment. The first one is take. You shall not take. And then what is it you're not to take? It's the name. 
And how are you not to take it? In vain. These are the three kind of key terms within this commandment. And, and if we just took it as it's written, we, we might interpret it as it's usually interpreted as, as a kind of prohibition about our speech, our use of words. And certainly this is included. But note, there's nothing about the actual speech that's explicit within the command. The, the verb take could also just as easily be translated to bear, okay? as if uh, you shall not bear the name. And the name itself, as uh, Elder Gould um, uh, referenced in his prayer, refers more than just to an appellation, more than just you know, a, 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 you know, a given way to refer to someone. But the names have profound meaning, and they point to something very deep about a person. And in the case of God, the name refers not just to the weight of address, but to his character, to his nature. We are to bear the name. It is his reputation. And we're to bear the name in such a way as not to take it in vain. That could also be, you know, just some synonyms for this particular uh, 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 word would be, we're not to take it in a worthless way or an empty, use it in an empty way or in a hypocritical manner. So if we take those all together, this third key word, this third commandment could be translated, you shall not bear the name of God in a worthless or hypocritical manner. And when understood in this way, it expands the idea of the third commandment beyond just how we speak about God, but in terms of how we as believers carry the name, how we bear the name of God uh, uh, within us and within our lives. So let's tease this out in three directions. So I I, want to point to three ways in which this command um, would apply. And the first one is what you would think. It's about guarding your speech about God. Again, this is the aspect of the third commandment that's right on the surface. The commandment requires us to be very careful in the way we speak about God, how we use the name of God. An example of this is Leviticus 19, verse 12. There... um, uh, God speaking through Moses, you shall not swear by my name falsely. For if you swear falsely, you will profane the name of the Lord, of uh, your God, I am the Lord. That is, I am Yahweh. So one of the ways that we break this commandment would just simply be, this is where we take oaths, uh, where we swear falsely in the name of God. We say that what we're saying in, in, in the name of God is true when, in fact, it is not true. And so we need to avoid. There are cases where we do need to take oaths, okay? Um, but we need to avoid just this kind of casual, I swear to God. Or I'm telling the truth. God, strike me dead if I'm lying, Okay, these are ways in which people commonly, speak, sometimes commonly speak in order to stress that they're, you know, it's a way to gain um, a, a credibility that you're, what you're saying is true. But God says, don't do this, especially don't do this if what then follows is not true. It is not wrong to take oaths. Say, in a court of law, do you solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? Christians can say, 
Yes, I, I do. Um, I will. I, I, I do promise to uh, speak that truth. But that means that you speak only the truth and nothing but the truth. We take the name of the Lord in vain also <clears throat> when we make ourselves out to be speaking for God or in God's name. But then we turn around and we teach things that are contrary to the word, that's contrary to God's uh, truth. In Jeremiah 14, 14, uh, God says to Jeremiah, the prophets, that is the Israelite, the prophets of Israel are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them or speak to them. They are prophesying lies in my name. So this puts a weight on those who would be preachers, teachers, uh, it's not that you're always going to get it 100% right, but, but your intent is to be as accurate as possible. And you also want to be concerned that, am I saying this in order you know, to garner um, uh, attention for myself, to make a name for myself, you see? That's often a temptation. And God says, no, this is breaking the third commandment. It is to bear the name of God uh, in a, um, a worthless manner. And then there's just the general idea of using the name of God in a worthless, empty manner. Uh, this is probably not the heart or the most serious breaking of this commandment, but it is a clear sign of disrespect. So we should avoid casually saying, oh my God, or God, yes. And certainly the name of God or using the name of God or of Jesus to swear. I was at the Reds game yesterday. I think all of us were tempted at certain points to break the third commandment. And so we need to go a little deeper. The third commandment is not just about how we speak about God, but it goes to the idea of how we bear the name of God. And so we are encouraged, like the ancient Israelites, to keep the temple clean. That is, we're encouraged like the ancient Israelites, recognizing that we have been granted the name of God to recognize that this creates a responsibility for the people of God. And I want to use how the temple of the Old Testament worked as an analogy. In Deuteronomy 12.11, we read this. Uh, God says, Then to the place, or Moses writes, Then to the place that the Lord, that is, that Yahweh your God will choose, he's going to choose a place to make his name dwell there. There you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices. And he goes on to describe the responsibility they will have in taking care of the place where God will set his name. Now, what is he referring to? Ultimately, what he is referring to is when they enter into the promised land, they are going to build a temple at Jerusalem. And upon this temple, God will uniquely set his name. He will inhabit that temple, and his reputation will be attached to this place in Jerusalem. And the result will be that the priests will have important responsibilities of maintaining that temple as a habitation that is worthy of the name. Now, what did that mean for the priests? Well, what this meant is they had to keep the temple clean. They had to keep the temple pure. They had to keep it holy. 
And they did this by offering the sacrifices that were required. They did this by trimming the wicks. They did this by renewing the showbread. They did this by keeping the temple pure of idols and, 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 and of other false means of worship. Now, the analogy is, in the New Testament, that we, as the people of God, as the church, the New Testament tells us that we both individually, as believers, and corporately, as the body of Christ, as the church, are the temple of God. This is an amazing statement, you know, that we we just kind of gloss over. We are the temple that God's holy presence, his name is now placed upon us. And the name of God has been placed upon us through our confession of faith and the name of Jesus and through our baptism where the name, the triune name, is explicitly required to be um, uh, applied to us. So the disciples of Jesus are required to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. What is happening here? The name of God is being given to the individual believer. That individual believer, going from that point forward, will have the responsibility of bearing the name in a responsible and worthy manner. And it's for this reason the Apostle Paul declares in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. And here's his reasoning. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So what's the application? So glorify God in your body. Keep your life clean. You know, this is not a... Um, a, a a culturally um, uh, welcomed word. We are required, as believers, to pursue purity in mind, in body, in heart. Why? In part because the name, we've been called to bear the name. And then there's this third analogy that may help us continue to understand what it means to bear the name of God with honor, not to misuse his name. It's the analogy of a family name. Our desire should be to bring honor to the family name. Now, already, um, back in Exodus, in chapter 4, the Lord is speaking through Moses, and he says, And I say to you, and this is what Moses is to say to Pharaoh, Let my son go, God speaking, let my son, referring to Israel, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. God had not only revealed his name to Israel, but he had granted them the privilege of bearing that name, which for them became a family name. Okay, so the name given to them becomes a family name that they have the privilege of holding. God is their father. Israel is viewed corporately as, as God's firstborn son. And it's not just a son, it's the firstborn son. Here's what you've got to understand. This is like the highest privilege because the firstborn son 
gets the double inheritance. And that's what he's saying. You're just, I'm not allowing you, I mean, you would be happy if you were just kind of a, a servant or a slave in my house, okay? That, that would be a wonderful gift, but that's not what God is granting his people. He's granting them this gift of a name, a family name. It's the name of the firstborn son who will in, receive a double inheritance. You know, Jesus is the natural-born son. We get to be children of God by adoption, both Old Testament and New Testament. Now, all the members of a family or an immediate household usually have uh, the same family name, even when this is not the case. If they live together, they still come under a family name. And the way each person within the household behaves affects the reputation of the whole. It affects the reputation of the family. And it is, or at least should be, the natural desire of each member of the family to live, to act, to speak in such a way as to bring honor to the family name. Now, nobody's going to do that perfectly, but that should at least be our desire. This is a good desire. And how much more should this be true of those who have been granted the royal name, the royal family name that is above every other name? the name of the Son of God. From the time of Acts, the earliest followers of Jesus became known as Christ followers, which became shortened to Christian. To be called a Christian is a privilege, not a curse. And again, when we're baptized, we're given the name of the triune God. It is a high and a noble calling to receive the name of Jesus, to receive, to be called Christian, to receive the triune God applied to us through the waters of baptism. It's not just a privilege, but it is also a weighty calling. It means that we should try to do everything we can to bring glory, to bring honor to the name of the Lord. And this is what the third commandment is about, not misusing God's name, but rather being respectful in our words and bringing honor and glory with our lives. Now, like the the second commandment, there is a warning attached to this. Exodus, it's the second part of verse 7. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. God is a God of justice and honor. He will not allow his reputation to be abused to be treated falsely or hypocritically, or for people to be abused or hurt in his name. He will act. Now, this is interesting. The specifics of how he will act, are they're not specified here, you know. He just says he will not hold anyone guiltless, you know, who misuses his name. It's kind of like, you know, a mom telling the, you know, the bad children, um, your dad is coming home at five. Now, no one knows exactly what that means, but it's not good. And that's sort of what we're getting here in this third commandment. The Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Now, of course, this is only part of the truth. In Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, we read, um, again, how the Lord reveals himself to Moses. And it says, Yahweh passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, that is Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, 
keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And keeping with God's name, this is a God, his first reaction is not to punish the guilty. His strong desire is to manifest his steadfast love to a thousand generations. And so there is great comfort and promise in the promises that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This biblical idea of the name doesn't end in the Old Testament with Moses. Indeed, as we come to the New Testament, it is profoundly significant that Jesus, the Son, is given a name that is above all names. You see, Jesus models for us what it means to be obedient to the third commandment. His words, you think about the words of Jesus. Now, and and we have to be careful because they don't always please people. That's not what it means to uh, obey the third commandment. But his words were always judicious. They were always true. And they were always pointing to the truth and glory of the Father. His life was a life of profound obedience and resisting the onslaught of the devil. So here I'm thinking of of Jesus as the temple and how he kept his life clean, how he pursued purity of life. His life was a life of profound obedience, of resisting the onslaught of the devil and his mighty, powerful temptations. He was a model of a pure temple life And the result of this is that rivers of living water flowed through the life of Jesus. This is what he wants for us, both as individuals and as a church. And he shows us how to bring honor to the name of his father. He accepted the role that the father had given to him. He accepted his role with humility and with contentment. What was that role? Who wants to sign up for the role of Jesus? To be the sin bearer. To be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Who once being rich became poor for our sake. This was his role to play. And he played it perfectly. He played it with courage and with great suffering. Indeed, he laid down his life willing to accept not just suffering... But unjust suffering for the cause of his father and for the cause of the kingdom and out of supreme love for the world. This is how he models obedience to the third commandment. And the result of this obedience is reflected in Philippians chapter 2. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Do you see the reference to the Ten Commandments here? And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Well, that's probably a good place to to close. Would you join me in prayer? Most gracious Lord, You know the tasks that await us. You know the temptations that we will confront. And you know the weakness of our endeavors. Lord, protect us 
guide us in all places and events, that as we go forth, Lord, that we would give due honor to you, that the third commandment would be respected in our lives, and that our lives would always treat your name with the greatest respect, with honor, and with glory. In your service, may we know the joy of true living and always grow into the likeness of the perfect Savior, your Son, and our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.